Amy from Stellmeyer Games, and I'm here on December 25th, Wednesday, as usual, 10 a.m. Central Time in St. Louis here to share Stillmeyer Games news, if I have any. I'm looking at my list here to see if I, if I actually have any Stillmeyer Games news today, uh, to discuss some random topics and to answer your non-spoiler questions, as usual. Um, I had a great chat yesterday, uh, a great recording about games with written narrative with Carol from The Mill and Kevin, a Stonemaier ambassador. So I'm doing more of these videos, if you've seen them on, on our YouTube channel, where I talk about a kind of a top 10 style topic, a, a game theme, a game mechanism with some Stonemaier ambassadors. And I have a bunch of them lined up in the next few weeks. So that was a fun conversation to have uh, with, with those two. And I look forward to having more like that. Um, in fact, I need to make a note about that uh, because I, yeah, yeah, it, I'll, I'll just note about some other scheduling things I need to do for more of those videos. Got to coordinate multiple schedules to make sure we can all line up for those videos, but they're, they're a lot of fun to do. I love hearing the different perspectives, and I think it's fun to play off each other when someone mentions a game that I have or haven't played that I can ask questions about it in real time, and that can appear on the video for you to learn about it as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving doing those videos. Good morning, Chad, Steve, George, Anthony, Rick, and Dominic. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for joining me. Um, I, I made a last minute note here. We've been watching some good TV shows recently. We're on the last episode of season two of Wheel of Time, which so far is still, I feel like it hasn't quite achieved maybe what it set out to do, but I'm really liking this season more than the first season. I enjoyed the first season. I think it's gotten better and maybe the third season will be, be great, but I'm enjoying the Wheel of Time. Uh, we just finished Gravity Falls. Just finished that, and that was that was a, a really epic show. I really genuinely enjoyed that. I don't watch a lot of animated shows, but it it hooked me in. It was one of those shows at first I was like, Megan, you can just watch this. I'll watch it from time to time. And then after a few episodes, I was like, no, no, we, we need to watch this together. And now we've switched over. Our lunchtime show is now Only Murders in the Building Season 3, which I'm really enjoying as well. Also, in terms of books, I'm about to finish The Sunlit Man, the new Brandon Sanderson novel. And unlike... I would say the other novels that he released this year, he's released a bunch of, I think, three so far. This is the fourth from uh, The Year of Sanderson, if you're following along with that. It was a Kickstarter. Now they're available elsewhere as well. Uh, I have found that this is like the most substantial book, or at least the longest book. It feels like the most epic and maybe the most tied to the Cosmere. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. I've enjoyed all the books of his that I've read this year as is the case with Brandon Sanderson writing, but I, I would recommend The Sunlit Man, especially if you are already invested in the, the Cosmere, the, the greater system, the greater world created by Brandon Sanderson. Let's see, Tom has a question. Not a stupid question, Tom, or we'll find out uh, once I read it. You know, uh, you know how to get an IP for Red Rising. Do you know, uh, right? Yeah, I got the IP for Red Rising. It was, it was difficult, but we, we made it happen. Do you have to get one for the new poker rolling realm uh, or for the rolling, for the other rolling realms that matter? So good question, Tom. So our system for getting permission and kind of the blessing of other publishers to create realms inspired by their games is that I reach out to the publisher. If we have a realm, either maybe a fan created realm, something that I'm excited about, something that Corel is excited about, we'll reach out to the publisher. And so, for example, uh, The Legacy of You, that's one of the ones that we've announced for Rolling Realms Redux. Tom is referring to Poker, one of the ones, the most recent uh, uh, realm for Rolling Realms Redux that we announced. So for The Legacy of You, I reached out to Shem at Garfield Games. Garp, Garp, I, I always forget if it's Garfield or Garp, Garp Hill. 
Remind me in the comments. I, I always mix the two up. I said it wrong for a long time. Someone corrected me. Garpill Games. Garfield Games. One of the two. Uh, I think it's Garpill. I reached out to Shem. I said, Shem, we have an idea for the legacy of you. We would love to publish a realm based on this game. Here's what we're offering you. We don't want you to do any work. We're going to do all the work for it, the design development work. We'll send it to you for approval if you want to do that, but you also don't have to respond to that email. All we need is the uh, the cover art so we can use that on the packaging for the realm and just your permission to use the name of the realm on our product and we'll pay you $500. We'll give you some money to to thank you for doing that. And you can you can use you can keep that money, you can give it to the designer if the designer was somebody else of that original game up to them. So that is uh, we we try to pay as much respect and um, really, yeah, but respect to uh, other creators' intellectual properties and their time in in offering these uh, that and what we offer for their realms uh, or permission to publish realms inspired by their games. And sometimes there have been a few times that publishers have said no, like not into it. Like we've tried to make it really easy for them to say yes. Sometimes they say no, and that's okay. We respect that too. Um, for poker, though. Uh, that is that is in uh, I forget the name but like an open license like poker is not a game that's owned by any particular company so um, we have a, a poker realm poker is a game that I played for a long time at my weekly game night before I had a weekly tabletop game night for for other games so I thought that would be fun to design a realm in fact that's one of the realms that I designed in Rolling Realms Redux George says how did you enjoy Brown's Lightbringer. Oh, uh, Pierce Brown. Yes. Uh, I was thinking of uh, a different Lightbringer series. I really, really liked book six in the Red Rising series. It might be my favorite book after book one. Um, I really, really enjoyed it, George. Did you like it? Have you have you gotten through it? Good morning, Ray. Patrick says, given how much you enjoyed Marvel Dice Throne, are you backing their new Kickstarter for the X-Men and the Missions? Not yet, Patrick. I, I'm glad to see the project's doing well. It's at like 2.6 million. In, uh, they're doing a great job. Um, I haven't backed it yet because I still have Marvel uh, Marvel Dice thrown on my shelf. And like you said, I loved it. I loved it. We haven't pulled it back out since playing the original tournament that Megan and I played through it. So it's one that, um, that I love having because it's a beautiful game. It's a lot of fun to play, but it isn't one that has hit the table since then. And so sometimes expansions can make me want to get a game back to the table. I don't know. I'll also talk to Megan about it because I know Megan enjoys it. Um, and I do too. I really do too. But uh, it, my, my one maybe hesitation about it was the uh, the ongoing campaign. I'm, I'm inundated with campaign expansions right now. So I'm not looking to add more campaign expansions to my collection until I play through the ones that I have. So uh, like right now I, on my shelf of opportunity, I have the Roleplayer Adventures expansion, which is a campaign. And I have the... Um, the big open world campaign for Earthborn Rangers, which I am hoping to love and will get a lot of play out of. So, and I have others on the way. So I'm not backing it yet, but I will see. I'm curious. I do appreciate how they broke down the reward levels, so you can just get the new characters if you want. We might do that. Maybe we'll focus on just getting the campaign. I don't know if, if it's really interesting, because uh, the cooperative nature of that is is appealing to me in terms of campaign games. We'll see. We'll see. I have backed a few games recently on Kickstarter, including just today I backed. Uh, let's see what I backed on Kickstarter. I'm currently I'm following more projects. I would say that I'm backing, but I backed Mons and Mages because in general I like games where you're collecting a lot of 
uh, unique cards and doing something with them that is not awesome, that not just combat. I think that is combat in Monsters and Mages, but I, I've heard it's much more engine building. I'm backing Flame and Fang from the uh, uh, Peter and Mike at the Co-op Cast, a podcast that I really love. I love the way that they think and that they talk about cooperative games. So I'm really excited about Flame and Fang. And then Kavango, uh, Diatomes is still alive. Let's see if Kavango is still alive. I think they, yeah, uh, Kavango has successfully funded but uh, diatoms or diatoms is still alive, and I'm backing that as well. What are you all backing right now? Anything exciting that you're really excited about? Um, I do. I feel like I had it. No, I don't have a question for the day for you today to think about. So I know tomorrow. Tomorrow, almost definitely, I will be publishing a post about um, social media advertising, which was the topic that I brought up last week. Uh, two topics that I want to talk about, and you're welcome, to, we'll see if you are interested in discussing these today. One is on the blog that I'd like to talk about how, uh, some tips for people to be better playtesters. This isn't a criticism of Stomire Games playtesters at all, but it's been on my mind since we had Stomire Games Design Day recently, and I got to see in person how different playtesters interact with designers. Um, a lot of the feedback was very productive, but I also saw a few things that I was like, oh, that's a little odd. Like that, that's that's not particularly helpful in the way that you're approaching this. For example, if the the designer is trying to teach the game and you are already giving them feedback during the teach rather than noting it and giving them feedback later on, that's that's one way that you can be a better playtester. So that's a topic that I want to think about that I want to cover. Let me know if you have any thoughts on that. If you've learned as a designer or a publisher how to be a better playtester. And the other thing, the other topic on my mind for an upcoming blog post probably is um, in regards to fan-created content. We get a lot of fan-created content in some of our games, and some of that has resulted in actual products that we've published. For example, there's Walter down there. Um, for example, the Wind Gambit, the one of the expansions for Psy. This was a fan expansion originally created by Kai Stark, and I liked what I liked the bones of what Kai had created, and I reached out to him and said, hey, do you want to co-design this together? I think it needs a lot of work, but I love what you've started out with, this idea of a new unit, the airship. Can we work on this together and make it work for the game? Maybe add some other stuff, some other ideas that I had for expansion. Let's work together on it and design something that I think will be a great addition to side. There have been instances like that. There have also been many more instances of fan-created content that just remains fan-created content, and I think that's okay. You can't publish everything that fans create, especially if they're very passionate about a game. So I want to publish a post about how we think about fan content at Stillmeyer Games and how we decide which content to pursue and which content to just, um, you know, encourage the sharing of, the open sharing of. So I want to talk about that. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that too as well. Anyway, back to the comments. George said that's a very nice t-shirt. Thank you, George. I, I like these Stillmeyer tourist, or not Stillmeyer, Star Wars touristy t-shirts. Chad says, you may like the anime Sword Art Online. It's basically players get stuck in a VR video game. It's very anime, but a fun story. Sword Art Online. I'll have to check that out, Chad. Do you know which um, streaming service that's that's on? Naziz says, I was wondering if you're ever going to publish, going to design or publish a social deduction game. Maybe something like Blood on the Clock Tower. I'd love to play one from Stomire Games. Happy Halloween in advance. So Naziz, we actually did work on one years ago with some other designers. And we ended up deciding that it wasn't really the type of game that Stomar Games would publish, but that it was a great game for that company to publish. So look up the game Leaders of Euphoria. This is a, this is, I think, the closest that you'll ever get to a game designed by me. And it isn't designed by me, it's developed by me. 
um, in a Stomar Games world that's in the Euphoria world. And I think it's a great social deduction game because of the hook that it has, which is that uh, if players are kind of voted out, rather than being out of the game, they form a new faction, the Wastelanders. And that faction can win the game. So you're, you're divided into different factions. One faction will win the game. Um, but, uh, but it is, so the stakes are high that you can get voted out, but once you get voted out, you're actually trying to get more people voted out with you so you can have more powerful, more power within the Wastelanders to be the winning faction in the game. So a really clever twist on a social deduction kind of secret team versus secret team style game. That's Leaders of Euphoria. Um... <clears throat> So I've asked a few questions today, what you're backing on Kickstarter, um, what you're following, if you're just following along a project on Kickstarter or GameFound. Um, and I asked some questions, a little bit of questions about uh, fan content and how to be a better playtester. I also have some random topics that I'll talk about in a few minutes, but let me get through a few comments that I'll jump over to those topics. George says, am I backing Critter Kitchen? I, I'm not currently backing it, but that is one of the projects that I'm following. Um, George is commenting about Pierce Brown's Lightbringer. He says, I did enjoy it, packed with lots of action. I don't want to give anything away, but I was certainly not expecting it to end the way it did. Yeah, there is one more book. And I don't, I actually, I'm, George, did you know that there was one more book after that? I wonder if, I knew it, but I wonder if Pierce made it clear at the beginning of the book if there was a, a book seven. Michelle, Michelle says she also likes the shirt. Let's see. Okay, Garfield. Chad says that uh, Phil is Shem's last name. Okay. Oh, Shem Phillips. That makes sense. Garfield. Yeah. Nathan says, okay, yeah, I should give a, a shipping update, update right here. Nathan says he's excited about getting Apiary and the um, the Wingspan fan art pack. Shipping update. So let's see. Joe sent me an update the other day. So uh, just yesterday. So I can read you this update verbatim if I can find it. Okay. In the U.S., champion orders should be finished shipping out this week. So champion orders in the U.S., uh, champions in the U.S. should get their shipping notification this week, and we're on track still for the goal of finishing all orders by November 10th, but it sounds like they're a little bit ahead of schedule, so we might be a little bit ahead of schedule for non-champion orders, too. Um, in the EU, the container has arrived and shipments began yesterday, so some people in Europe, not just EU, uh, Europe, some people in Europe are starting to get their shipping notifications. It'll probably take till the end of next week for all champions in Europe to get their shipping notification, and then the following week, um, everyone else. Uh, in Canada, Joe says it looks like all launch orders older than this week, so any launch orders placed prior to this week, had actually shipped. So in Canada, if unless you place an order this week, you should have a shipping notification. That's awesome. And then in Australia, New Zealand, and Asia, there are only a few non-champion orders left to ship. So in those regions, all champion orders have shipped, and we're just waiting on non-champion orders to wrap up. So really, it's Good news. I know people in Europe had to wait a little bit longer than normal. I appreciate your patience. That ship just took took almost two months to arrive. Um, but I appreciate your patience. And it sounds like most things are ahead of schedule um, than, than what we anticipated. So again, this the the pre-order, the, the launch was on October 4th, and we're now on October 25th. No, it, it's taken a few weeks, but uh, hopefully you're starting to get Apiary and the Wingspan Fan Art Pack. If you launched any of those products from our web store, you're hoping to get those in hand. Let's see, Steve says he's back in the Obsession, the game Obsession, the character's expansion. Nathan's following Wondrous Creatures. 
Yeah, it does, that's another one. I, I was kind of debating between Wondrous Creatures and uh, Mons and Mages. I may have to look deeper into Wondrous Creatures as well. Some really great variety of uh, art in different projects recently, including the Old King's Crown, which Rocky mentions here. Um, he says it's definitely positioned as a premium product. Yeah, it's uh, I, the, I, I am still somewhat price sensitive on Kickstarter. I, I like to feel like I'm getting a good deal, especially based on the components included in the game. Um, so I can, I can relate to that, Rocky. Brian mentions My Little Scythe as another fan-created product. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's My Little Scythe. I worked with a fan of Wingspan, um, Ryan, on the th or, or of Scythe on the third expansion. There's the Wingspan fan art pack, which isn't any mechanical or gameplay aspects, but it is fan art that we asked for, that we um, let, let fans of the game submit. There's also the Scythe Encounters. You mentioned My Little Scythe. I'm sure there are some others that I'm forgetting as well. <clears throat> uh, Rocky says he really enjoyed my blog on our Essen experience, not mine firsthand, but I did, because uh, I wasn't at Essen Spiel, but I did learn a lot from Alex, Susanna, and Dave, and Connor from Inside Up Games. That was Monday's blog post about the things that we learned about Essen Spiel, the types of things that if you are a new publisher or a publisher considering attending Spiel for the first time, that um, we wanted to share our experiences with you, because this is our first time having a booth at Essen Spiel. This is the big convention that happens every year in usually October, in, in Essen, Germany. My other blog post, what was the other one that I posted recently? Oh, I posted my Design Day recap last Thursday, if you're curious about what happens at Design Day, the types of things that we learned at Design Day this year. And my video this past weekend was about trick-taking games. Oh, this was a fun one. This is another video that I filmed with several several friends who love trick-taking trick games, who have introduced a lot of trick-taking games to me over the last couple of years. Um, Henry and Pete are in my local gaming group. And it was uh, great to hear their thoughts on their favorite trick-taking games, and I shared my favorites as well. That was the video this past Sunday. Steven backed Nocturne. Nick says, I'm considering backing the new Canizia game Cascadero. It reminds me a bit, a bit of Tigris and Euphrates or Yellow and Yangtze, two of his previous favorites from Canizia. My favorite is Ra. So if he ever does like a new version of Ra, although he kind of did, he, he actually has done that, a priest of Ra. Ian just, just backed Nocturne. Um, he also backed Forage and Fromage. Two very similar looking words there, Ian, Forage and Fromage. He backed Cryptid Cafe, Chef's Apprentice, and Escape Room Tycoon, Wondrous Creatures, and Critter Kitchen being the at the top of his potential list. Uh, sorry, Facebook scrolled past a bunch of comments here. So let me scroll back up a little bit. Um, Okay, Chad says that his, the show he recommended, Sword Art Online, is on Hulu. So I'll have to check that out on Hulu. Thank you, Chad, for the recommendation. Mark also used to watch that one. <laughs> Steve has, oh, I love this. Steve has a, a fun run t-shirt for Mordor. That's really clever. I need to check that one out. Paul says he's also curious about Critter Kitchen. He says that's a game I would have loved to publish. So Paul resonates with that theme. This is... Uh, the, it's the kind of the second in the series following um, Flamecraft. Same artist as Flamecraft, maybe same world, pro probably a different world based on the way it looks, but it is an adorable looking game. The mechanisms look somewhat similar. Mark says he's backing Nocturne. He likes that Flatout Games provides a PNP file for the backers for free so we can play the PNP version. This is print and play version while waiting for the physical copy. I do appreciate when, when creators do that. 
Rocky points out the other crowdfunding platform, one of the other ones, BackerKit has launched a new star backer program, but it seems to be just a virtual badge if you back 10 projects in the year. Okay, so virtual badge. Okay, what would you like to see them do with that, Rocky? Because I agree, that's a clever concept to um, highlight uh, frequent backers in some way, but is a virtual badge enough for you to, to really think about that in the future or are you hoping for something more? From Jen, Jen says she just got either her copy of Apiary and or the Wingspan fan art pack, which I was just talking about the shipping status for. Brian says he is on Kickstarter. He backed Haggis, Charms, and Inflation, and uh, My Favorite Things. Okay, I see. So George was talking about book six of the Red Rising series, which is looking like to be a, a seven-book series. And he says he did know about that there was a book seven as he was going into book six. He says, I was hoping it was a false rumor, considering it took so long to publish book six. Did it really take that long? He says, I had to read books four and five to remember enough not to feel lost from book six. I do always appreciate when there's a YouTuber or someone who summarizes the recent books, because you're right, I, I, don't, I don't typically want to re reread books because I have so many other books that I want to read. Um, so I appreciate summaries. Um, how long did it actually take? I'll have to look this up real quick. Let's see when Pierce Brown published book five of Red Rising. So Red Rising... Book, book five, book five. Maybe it took three years. I don't consider that that long, but we'll see. Book five. So that was Dark Age, released on July thirtieth, twenty nineteen. Okay, so it was four years. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I wonder if Pierce wrote both books and then kind of realized, okay, I want to focus on, I, I need, I have too much content. I'll split them. I'll focus on editing this one, but maybe he's written both of them. So we'll get the book seven a little bit faster. Uh, okay. So Ray says he has no experience backing with Kickstarter or playtesting. Um, one of the questions I asked about today, he says, I'm intrigued by the way that Stillmeyer Games views fan content, especially what leads to official development. Do you usually feel flattered by the pr proliferation of fan content, regardless of kind or quality? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I'm flattered. I'm honored that fans of our games have taken the time and energy to, uh, to create and share content for our games. Always for free, obviously. Uh, except for third-party accessories, um, we don't, we can't condone fans selling content for our games. But uh, but it, it's absolutely flattering to see fans get really excited about um, about the, our worlds, our games, and enough so that they want to create content for it. Um, I think the the edge that I'm that I, I want to talk about, or the, the the line that I want to talk about, is the balance between that and then the. Uh, if there's any expectation or obligation from fans for us to actually publish that content. Um, because I think that becomes a, a difficult conversation then because we want to encourage that content regardless of whether or not we pursue it. And we're not going to pursue most of it because we, 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 you know, we already have kind of a plan for most of what we want to publish every now and then it happens that we do want to publish it. But for the most part, that isn't the case. And so if there is any expectation or obligation that goes along with it, I don't necessarily think that's healthy. Um, so uh, but that's one of the things that has come up recently, not in not in a uh, not in a negative way, but I, I have, have sensed a little bit of that of uh, people saying comments in a way that are like, why haven't you done this? Still my games. Why haven't you published this thing? You really should publish this thing. Once you th start, start to show start to use that word should, 
that's when I'm like, okay, where, where is this obligation or expectation coming from? How can we talk about it in a healthy way? Hilda, Hilda said this year was my first design day and we had a wonderful experience. Hilda attended with her husband this year and they play tested or they showed off a game that they have been working on. Hilda says, as the designer, I provided my playtesters with a critique sheet with a set of questions on theme, playtime, replayability, and ease of learning. Then she added a space for additional notes and feedback. I found it really helpful so I could review the feedback after the event was over. And Hilda, I really, really like that. Um, I like that method from designers uh, to, to help facilitate the type of feedback they want. Designers can definitely frame that, uh, frame the conversation to get the feedback that they're looking for from that playtest. And providing that sheet means that playtesters who maybe need to process it a little bit. I'm definitely one of those playtesters. I need to process the feedback instead of just going to be giving immediate feedback. Um, I think giving that, that sheet of paper can really help. But I also hope that playtesters can realize that the playtester who maybe isn't given that sheet of paper can, um, can, take the, can feel free to take the time to process the game and maybe email the designer later or approach the designer later and give that feedback. Um, so I think it helps when it goes both ways. And Hilda, I think you're really smart for bringing those, those uh, critique sheets. Sorry, Facebook scrolled past a few comments here. I'm going to go back a little bit. Here is, okay, here's Valerie. Valerie says, on fan-created content, I think it's an interesting subject. It's, it's normal that Stillmeyer cannot publish all of it, and rejection can be hard when you're especially passionate about something that you've created. I think it's important for a company to stay humble and see how much it means to fans. Rejection is easier to process when the why is given or a simple acknowledgement. A blog post from Stillmeyer Games' point of view would also help a ton, as, as I'm sure you guys get these a lot. Um, I think Summer Games does a fantastic job at showing compassion and understanding, and a blog post will only solidify that. And Valerie, I think you bring up something really important here in terms of um, I'm gonna, the rejection, that it can be easier. So when a fan go, creates something in the hopes that it will catch our eye, that at the very least that that fan can see that we saw it, that we did see it, uh, and to show, hey, I, I see you, I acknowledge this, we, we celebrate you, we want to celebrate this content. Um, rather than just, uh, because we don't always do that. You're, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't always do, I don't always acknowledge it. Um, and I think maybe part of my concern there, it, it really, it's very, it's not valid, but if I do acknowledge it, um, that suddenly the obligation will go along with it. So that, that the next question is, oh, you've acknowledged it, why don't you publish this? And I, I don't, that's when I have to, well, no, I don't have to, but that's when the, the, the actual rejection happens when I'm like, okay, well, it, this is just going to be fan content that it's not going to be an official thing, but I need to get over, over that. Right. Um, and just celebrate it. There's the, there's a way that I can celebrate something without rejecting it. And to at least show the designer that I love that they made it and that we're happy that they made it. And, uh, and that, that I want to show it to others and that I see them and that I see their effort. But I really like that you said that Valerie. My coworker Susanna is here. Good morning, as is Josh. Uh, not a coworker, uh, just friend of friend of the company. Susanna says that was a fun video about trick-taking games. It's a bit of an intimidating genre for me, but I always I actually always have fun when I play these kinds of games, even though I don't always know the best play. That is one of the tricky things about trick-taking games, especially when there's bidding involved. Um, that you uh, and, and when you're there's a lot of reading other players and trying to remember what they have, what they might be able to play. Um, so I, I can totally relate to that, Susanna. Sean says, uh, thank you for the recommendation of the book, My Murder. He says, I th he thought it was a good book. What's next? So if you're looking for that style of book, Sean, I'm trying to think of another mystery 
style book, kind of like My Murder. So it was kind of like slight science fiction um, with a twist where the person who was murdered has been uh, kind of cloned and they're trying to solve their own murder. Neat little hook there. Actually, I'm glad Hilda is here today, Sean, because Hilda has some recommendations in that genre. Hilda, can you mention some recommendations like that to Sean? Because this was something Hilda and I were talking about at Design Day recently. Uh, Mark says, interesting reveal for Rolling Realms Redux. Nobody guessed the game correctly. Uh, yeah, th that poker was the realm. I don't think anyone was guessing that one because it wasn't a game cover. It was an art that we had to create for the game cover. He's excited to see the rest of the, the reveals. We're doing these reveals for Rolling Realms Redux, which is a new core set of Rolling Realms. 12 new realms that haven't been seen before. They're not promos. They're not from the original game. It'll be a new core set of Rolling Realms that will release next, probably late next summer. And month to month, I'm revealing uh, the different realms that will be included in the game. So you can subscribe to the Rolling Realms Redux newsletter to get those notifications whenever I announce them. Chad says, I saw that Andrew Bosley has posted another art piece for his Smoking Bones world. This is a world that Andrew Bosley has created. And Andrew has said that we are, um, that, that he's partnering with Stillmeyer Games to create a, uh, a game in that world. Um, that's all the, the status that we've given so far about it, Chad. Garrett says, so I asked, some of the questions I've asked today are, what, you're, what are you backing right now, if you're backing anything, or what, what pre-orders are you looking forward to receiving? What's on your shelf of opportunity, even? Some stuff that you've ordered that you've received. Yeah, I want to, I guess I should elevate that, not just focus on what we're hoping to receive at some point in the future, but stuff that we have received that we're excited about. For me, that's Earthborn Rangers, the Ark Nova expansion, and Roleplayer uh, Adventures, the expansion of that. All of those are on my shelf of opportunity right now. I'm hoping to play, actually, no. Yeah, I don't know if we'll get to play them this weekend or the next weekend. That's problematic. I'll have to find a way to get, to get those to the table. Uh, but Garrett mentioned the Old King's Crown and the Obsession expansion. And he's following the Dice Throne um, cooperative campaign uh, expansion. Okay, so Rocky was talking about Backerkit's Starbacker. He says, definitely, he was hoping for more. He says, when he clicked on the link, he was left, oh, thinking, that's it? He says, but I'm not sure what else they could promise apart from early access to things. I think GameFound has a similar badge, but they use total projects and not just projects in a year. So what could, that's interesting to brainstorm here, Rocky, if anyone else wants to chime in. If, uh, if a crowdfunding platform, say Backerkit, GameFound, or Kickstarter, wanted to, um, to celebrate frequent backers, backers who back at least like one game a month or at least 10 to 12 games a year, uh, and I know there are backers that back way more than that. If they wanted to celebrate that in such a way that you would actually feel incentivized to back that 10th game or to back a game every month or back a project every month, what would what would kind of incentive would you want to see? Like, is a virtual badge enough? Or would you want to see a, a financial benefit? Would you want to get, maybe Kickstarter just gives you, after you reach that threshold, Kickstarter gives you $5 that you can use to back um, any project. Um, maybe... I don't know what else it could be. Uh, it, it, Rocky mentions early access, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what early access really gives you for those Kickstarter campaigns or those those projects. So yeah, let me know what what kind of incentive you would want um, that would actually encourage you to back more if the if any of these platforms wanted to do that. Valerie and so Sean asked for book recommendations, and Valerie mentioned the book uh, Absent or the machine or tell the machine good night oh i need to look at both of these 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna save both of those book recommendations, Valerie, for after I get off the live cast. Brian says, I can't imagine anyone making, anyone who's made fan content uh, expecting you to publish it. Are there actually people who do that? So Brian, I think there's hopes. I think the people who create the content, there's hopes that it'll catch our eye and then maybe we'll wanna work with them for to, to publish it. The, the expectations slash ob obligations I'm getting from other people, other people who see that content, they're excited about it, and they don't want to print it. They want an official version of it. And I think there is, I, I've sensed a little bit of, uh, especially for Wingspan, because there's a lot of fan-created content for Wingspan, a lot of fan-created birds. There, I have gotten this sense from some people that uh, that we are, that they not just want us to publish it, but they they, they expect us to, to publish some of it at some point. So, um, and my, my answer for that for Wingspan in particular is that Elizabeth Hargrave is the, is the designer of Wingspan. She's the designer of Wingspan. Not everyone else. Everyone else are fan designers, but Elizabeth is the designer for Wingspan. And if Elizabeth ever comes to me and says, hey, Jamie, I really like these cards. I want to work with, I'm inspired by these cards. I want to refine them and hone them and make them real Wingspan cards, then we might do that. Um, also, Elizabeth is inspired by content that she sees fan content creators create and post. And so um, even though those inspirations often end up being very different than the original ideas, she sees it, she acknowledges it, she is inspired by it, is my sense from Elizabeth. Uh, but Elizabeth is still the designer of that game. Um, I have more flexibility for other games where maybe I'm the designer and I wanna work with somebody else. And Elizabeth someday might say, you know, I'm out of ideas for the next expansion. I wanna work with this person who has come up with a lot of great ideas. I'm gonna work with them. That's also her choice to make. But it is her choice, and I hope fans realize that and, and respect that Elizabeth is the designer of Wingspan, and uh, and everything goes through her for for the design part of the process. Yeah. George says he was looking forward to ordering the Viticulture wine glasses with his replacement of the Parks Promo Room, but I saw it was out of stock. Any plans to make more wine glasses? You know, George, I'm glad you said that. I don't, I don't always notice when things are out of stock. I think we I think they've been out of stock for a little bit, but for the holiday season, it would be great time to make. Um, some more wine glasses. So I will make a note about that and put in an order. Carol is popping in here. Carol, I was talking about how we had a great chat yesterday with Kevin about games with strong, memorable, written narrative. That was our conversation topic yesterday, a video that will go live on my channel sometime in the next month or so. We'll see when, when that works out. Uh, lots of great comments. In conversation. Let me see if there's anything. Oh, I did have another question for you all too. One topic uh, that I'll be discussing soon with some designers. What is your favorite abstract game and what do you consider an abstract game? What is your favorite? If you had to put, pull one abstract game off your shelf right now and play it with me or a few other people, what abstract game would that be? I can definitely think of a few that come to mind for me. George says that he's made a lot of fan content. Um, he says from a long campaign for tapestry and smaller fan realms and small stuff. And although, and, and George, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this at least because I need to remember that, uh, that rolling realms, we've done a lot with fan content for rolling realms. Now let me finish George's comment. He says, although it won't get published, I've accepted that and moved forward. I realize that it's important to realize that not everything can get published and you should be constantly aware of that and assume on that while designing the thing. And I think George, this is, I, I'm glad you said that, that this is, uh, that if you are gonna design fan content, do it for the love of the game, not for 
the expectation that it will be published. And again, I, I don't get that sense from most fan designers. I get a glimmer of hope maybe that it will catch our eye, that maybe we'll publish it. But I think um, if that is your primary mo motivation, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if your primary motivation is to create and share something that you're excited about with other people who love the game, I think that's a great motivation to have. It's an, a very easy motiva uh, motivation to satisfy. Um, although it does take a lot of work to actually create something. Carol says, have you had the chance to look into the Spirit Fire Kickstarter? I have, yeah. Interesting methods of, of kind of revealing that they were going to do a Kickstarter. She says, I haven't looked at it much, but it looks interesting at a quick glance with a non-combat exploration narrative. I do love that. Yeah, I, I am very intrigued by campaign games, cooperative games in particular, where the focus is not on combat. Um, it's one of the things I loved about Sleeping Gods, that combat was a very small part of the game, a very well-designed and developed part of the game, but a pretty small part of the game. And in Spiritfire, there is no combat at all. It's all about your personal growth and development. I have looked at it, Carol. I'm, it's currently one of these projects that I'm following. Another one of these campaign games, which is probably not one that I'll back because I have so many campaign games right now. But probably I should start to think about it a little bit more because I'll have played through all the campaign games that I have by the time that games like Fire, uh, Spirit Fire, are um, actually delivered. Good morning, Corey from Blue Falcon. He says, uh, Jimmy, have I seen the game Black Mold from Terrible Games? I don't think I have seen Black Mold. He says, it has a fun mechanism that ties into the theme, a prisoner escaping a mold-infested asylum. That's creepy. Uh, to where your turn lasts as long as you can physically hold your breath. That's interesting. This is a mechanism that I actually mentioned to Morton years ago. Morton was creating a solo game with some, some challenges. And one of those, uh, he wanted to convey the theme that you were, I think it was either in outer space or underwater. And I was like, what if Morton, what if the timer for this game was exactly as you mentioned here, that you had to hold your breath through it. And Morton found that some playtesters really liked that. Um, but other playtesters wanted a more mechanical version of that timer. So he created both. I can't remember the name of this game. This is something that Morton created and released as a print and play years ago, a solo game. Um, but it was kind of along those horror themes. And there were some other things like that too. I think one of them might be like you had to stand on one leg or something as the timer. So the different types of timers that gave, that presented physical challenges along with them, if you wanted to play that way. Okay, Mark. Mark is an avid uh, fan creator of Rolling Realms, uh, Fan Realms. So Mark says, as a fan content creator, I'm very thankful for the openness of Stomire Games when it comes to fan content. And Mark, before I continue to read, I wanna make one other note about this. Um, And then I'll go back to reading. So Mark says, uh, I think that fan content does help grow the community more. Personally, it's not only helped me with validation of the free content that I do, but it also helped me with overcoming some design roadblocks that I'm encountering in designing my own game. At the end of the day, I don't have any expectations in terms of publishing them, but if they would be, I would be eternally grateful. I like that. I like the way you said this a lot, Mark. And I, I like that you highlighted one of the other side benefits that um, if you are curious about designing a game, I'm going to quote you here, Mark. If you're curious about designing your own game someday, designing content for a game that already exists is a great way to start. Designing, design a little mini expansion just for fun. Design a promo for Rolling Realms just for fun and share it. Uh, I, I totally agree that you can you can learn. That's one of my like top tips to new designers. Or if someone wants to get into game design, instead of necessarily starting with a game of your own, start with a little fan thing for a game that already exists. It's much easier, I think, to piggyback off of an existing design and iterate rather than start from scratch for design and growing. It can be really frustrating to do that, um, to start from scratch on your own game. 
Darius says, I've read your blog post about design day. It seems wonderful to be there. Hopefully, I'll join you one day all the way from Turkey. Darius, if you did, you would be the person who has traveled the farthest for a single day. It is just one day, although we do try to do some other activities on Saturday for those who do travel pretty far. I think the person who's traveled the farthest so far was either Canada or Alaska. I think Alaska is actually a longer trip, but um, but someone did come from Canada one year uh, to uh, this year, this past year. Two people came from Canada this past year. Okay, here are Hilda's book recommendations in this kind of mystery, maybe with a speculative twist. She mentions Grady Hendrix, My Best Friend's Exorcism, The Final Girl Support Group, and Horror Store. All right, uh, one of my favorite playtesters here, Garrett, has some playtest tips. So I'm, I'm going to copy and paste this if I can. Oh, I just copied everything in this thread. Um, oh, oh, no, I... Facebook scrolled past. I missed it. Garrett, can you repo? Oh, I'm so sorry, Garrett. Garrett, if you still have that comment, can you repost it? Because I definitely want to see what you had to say about playtester tips. Uh, Jason says, I recently listened to your podcast on worker placement. I have always rushed to get as many workers as possible. So this was a video two weekends ago about games where worker placement games where um, you are incentivized not necessarily to just get more workers, where there's other other reason, other things to do that are more valuable than just getting more workers. Uh, Jason says, last night we played Nuclea. My friend did not use as many workers as me and crushed everyone. I'm going to start taking a step back and try to get the best value for my workers when playing games. And that's a great approach, Jason, to take in worker placement games. On Ian's shelf of opportunity are Rolling Heights and the Guild of Merchant Explorers. Oh, we cleared those off his shelf last weekend because he actually played them. Verdant will be this weekend. And he has Life of Amazonia and got Age of Comics. I've heard great things about Age of Comics. Hilda also recommends the Southern Book Club, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Killing Vampires. The Bastan Trilogy by Dolores uh, Redondo is also a fabulous mystery and available in English. Awesome. Lots of great murder, uh, mystery, not necessarily murder mystery, but mystery recommendations from Hilda. And as a show, I'd say Only Murders in the Building, if you're interested in a mystery show. We just started the third season yesterday. Corlin says, is your group going to be doing an Oath Sworn into the Deepwood campaign? So Corlin, I have a video about Oath Sworn, maybe even two videos about the game. Um, we, I did something a little bit different with it, where I essentially played one game of it, full, one full game with some friends, and then I was immersed by the story. I love the story, the choose-your-own-adventure, the discovery elements, the unlocks, but not necessarily the combat part of it. And so I played through the entire campaign by reading it. Um, I spent a weekend just reading through the Oath Sworn book and had a blast doing that. Um, and so I won't be doing it, I won't, I won't be actually playing through the campaign, but I did kind of play through the narrative part of the campaign by myself, and I really enjoyed it. So Ian has a game club update. Ian is running a game club, a new game club at his school. He says, I was actually able to sit down and play a couple games last night with some groups. One included King Domino. King Domino, that's a good gateway game, I believe. Uh, Sean says, really pleased last week to hear that you backed Kavango after you mentioned it, and he's, uh, Sean backed Diatoms after I mentioned that as well. Can't wait to get them both in July. Really looking forward to getting Apiary, hoping it arrives before we head to the Black Mountains for his wife Yvette's birthday. Hopefully it does arrive. Sean, we'll see. Uh, they are actively shipping, but um, I doubt many European backer, uh, European launch Customer copies will arrive by this weekend, but some of them might, especially if you're in the UK. They, they have a chance at arriving. Uh, Wormwood Gaming posted a video today about a game they are considering designing and publishing. Should 
there be a joint venture between Stellar Games and Wormwood? Um, I don't know anything about this game, Sean. I, we don't we don't really do joint ventures. Uh, we let people submit games to us, and we consider them that way. But uh, yeah, so if Wormwood wants to submit a game to us, they can do that. Oh, Susanna says the wine glasses are actually in stock. Thank you, Susanna, for checking on that. I didn't realize that we actually still had them in stock. Let's see how many we have in inventory right now. All right, wine glasses. We only have the wine glasses in the U.S. because shipping glass internationally. Oh, yeah, we have them in stock right now. Definitely. Uh, they're only in stock in the U.S. Uh, because glass just does it. The odds of it breaking increase significantly once we start to ship it to other fulfillment centers. So sorry about that. But if you're in the U.S., you can buy the custom etched stemless viticulture wine glasses. Thank you, Susanna. And Valerie, Valerie is a, a, kind of apologized for criticizing. I didn't take it that way at all, Valerie. And I really do appreciate your constructive feedback about uh, how we can how we can celebrate fan content and acknowledge it and see it. I, I think you made a great point. And yeah, I, I, I love the way that you said it. So yeah, she says, I just meant uh, a blog post might help explain to some why they might not hear from you. That's that's fair too. A blog post, I think, could help um, help that conversation. Not everyone's going to see the blog post, but at least it's there for people to reference in the future if they'd like to. Carol says she loves the Viticulture wine classes. Ian says his favorite abstract games are Azul and Quirkle. Nick mentions Reef. Chad says Onitama. Blockus for Dwayne. I'm already. I'm not going to reveal my favorites, but I've already seen a few of them here. Cal, uh, Carol says Calico or Cartographers. That's it. So yeah, this is where the question of what is an abstract game? Where do, where do you draw the line? Because all games are essentially abstract in the end. Uh, Calico, I would definitely say is abstract. Cartographers, I don't know. Um, it is abstract, but I also feel like I'm mapping a kingdom. I really do. Uh, although Calico, you kind of feel like you're putting cats on colts as well. Also Santorini. So where do you all draw the line for abstract games? What, when does a game stop being an abstract and become something else? Uh, because like Blockus, Blockus, you know, Blockus to me looks like an abstract game. It's an abstract game, right? But if Blockus, if suddenly those blocks were cats in weird poses, is that still an abstract game? Like the, the Isle of Cats. Is the Isle of Cats an abstract game? Or is it or is it not? Where do you where do you draw that line? There isn't a right answer to this question. I'm just looking to hear your thoughts. Uh, Jason mentioned Quirkle and Azul. George says War Chest. Uh, Septima, Septima, which I might actually play tonight. My friend uh, Pete is bringing that tonight. The Mosaic expansion. Uh, Mark says Solani. Solani is really, really interesting. Oh, no, I, I'm thinking of a different game. Uh, I haven't played Solani. But thank you for mentioning that. Uh, Solani here, George. Okay. Um, Nazi says Shobu. Chances have I ever had a Eureka moment and returned to a game design that you've decided to leave on the cutting room floor? If so, did the game finally go the distance? I, there's one game that I've resurrected in a completely different way than, than it was originally designed, um, that we're, we're currently working on. I try to track all of my ideas in Trello, and sometimes when I'm at a, a, a so if I'm at a, a, a stopping point, a roadblock in the game that I am designing, I'll go back and look through those ideas and see if anything triggers. And, and sometimes they, they have triggered some, some new ideas, some new concepts, some, some breakthroughs by looking through those old ideas. I don't, can't think of something very specific that has done that, 
but I am sure it's happened because I've definitely used that tactic for most games that I've designed. George mentions Pagoda as an abstract game. Jerry says it would be nice to have blank rows on the wingspan score sheets to add scoring categories ourselves. For example, when we play with Asia and we use the score pad that comes with it, we have to squeeze the nectar category between the two rows so we can calculate the sum. It's quite a minor issue, but some extra space wouldn't hurt. That's true, Jesse. You're, uh, Jerry, you're actually absolutely right. We, we could make those score pads a little bigger. Maybe for the next expansion, we'll add some extra space on it. It doesn't cost that much more to add an extra centimeter or two, and we can definitely do that. I appreciate that that feedback. Okay, Garrett, I'm so sorry for um, for losing your comment. And I, I want to try to, there we go. I'm going to select it, put it in the better playtester stream that I have here. Okay, so he says, uh, honest, be respectful, but if you don't like the game, don't worry about hurting feelings, totally. Um, most designers want that negative feedback. Positive feedback can make the game better. Can't make the game better, typically. Multiple times, if you can, before providing feedback, take notes while playing and have an open discussion with other playtesters afterwards to discuss your notes before writing a report. Avoid redesigning. Say what you like and didn't like, but don't offer the solutions. That's the responsibility of the designers. And really, I, I think that's such an important mindset for a playtester get in, to get into. Because there are instances where it's okay for a playtester to offer um, solutions, especially if the designer's requesting them. But if a playtester gets in the minds, uh, gets in a solution-based mindset, then they're probably not giving the designer the information that they really need, which is examples. What happened? Why? Uh, why did? Why did it happen? And how did it make them feel? That's what's most important. Uh, Garrett also mentions respect, confidentiality. Um, yeah, this is awesome, Garrett. I love it. Yeah, Garrett and Ali are two of my favorite playtesters. And you did remind me of one other thing. What was the other thing? Um, uh, now I'm blanking on it. Hurting feelings, playing multiple times. Yeah, you shouldn't play it multiple times. Uh, I often encourage playtests. Oh, well, no, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. Thank you, Garrett, for sharing that and sharing that again. Brandon says, when you partner with a designer and decide to publish their game, what does that process look like? How involved are the designers in the development, art direction, and other processes. So Brandon, a very quick answer. I think I probably have a blog post or video about this somewhere, but a very quick answer to this is when um, when is we when we are intrigued by a game and we want to learn more about the designer, oftentimes we'll give them a little bit of feedback. And so the conversation starts even before we've signed the game, where we're just gonna talk about the game a little bit and see how the designer responds to feedback. If we get to the point with the designer and or the game, because sometimes the game needs a little bit of work even before we officially consider it for design, um, we pay the designer in advance, we and I start to work with the designer. And, and what that development process looks like is that we'll talk about the game, we'll email about the game quite a bit. The designer will iterate the game a little bit or as much as they need to. They'll send me a, that the new version of the game. I will play it. I will decide if it is ready for a wave of blind playtesting. And, um, and if it is, then we'll enter it into blind playtesting. That's where... Uh, people around the world that, that we select are, are play the game three times and offer feedback on it, unguided feedback on it. And then I summarize that feedback, I share it with the designer and we talk about it and we talk about what feedback uh, can help the game improve and how we can help improve it. The designer then goes and iterates some more and they, they take that feedback, they design it, they incorporate it into the, into the, the prototype, um, they play test it, then they again send me the revised version. I play it, we talk about it some more, we decide if it's ready for blind playtesting, and that cycle just continues until the game is ready for publication. 
Um, as for like art direction, Brandon, you mentioned that. I, I try to keep the designers involved in the process. They're not involved in every decision because it would be arduous for them to be involved in every little decision that we make. But for the big decisions about what, like who the artist is, which, what art style we're choosing for the game, the cover art, I often involve the designer in the cover art. Uh, when we're entering the game into layout, I often share it with the designer to say, hey, here's what the game is looking like. Are you okay with this layout? Do you like this? So I involve designers quite a bit and there's kind of those key milestones along the way to make sure that they are really happy with the game and the way that we are deciding to publish the game. In the end, in the contract, we have the authority as the publisher to make these decisions. They're all marketing decisions in the end. Um, but I like to give the designer the respect uh, and I feel like the game is better if I do involve the designer in those decisions as well. Yeah. George points out to Jerry that we do have the free Stillmeyer Scores app, which you can use to score any of our games. And uh, yeah, that is, that is a good way that you can enter any of that information. Even if, you're, even if you're playing like Wingspan Asia, you can tell the app that you are also playing with Oceania and it will add in that, that row for Nectar uh, for you within the app and it will save your scores. Garrett mentions Boop as a recent abstract favorite. Valerie mentions Azul and Chess as some abstract games she loves. Susanna mentions Lacuna. Oh, Lacuna, yes. Susanna shared this one with me recently. That is a, a really, really cool abstract game. You all are giving me some good ideas here for games that I want to mention. I need to write some of these down. So Lacuna is one that I might forget about since it's so new to me. Um, yeah, some great, great suggestions here so far. Chad says, I feel like the more puzzly it is, the more abstract it is. The theme integration is also a factor. Yeah, that's you know where, where you draw that line. Uh, Jonathan says, as a fan creator of a published realm, I'll always be thankful for Jamie and Corel's guidance and the experience as a whole. My main goal was to make something for other fans of Rolling Realms to enjoy. Wonderful motivation, wonderful goal. That's a great way to go into a fan-created content, Jonathan. Uh, I'm going to quote you on that one. He says, forever grateful to Stillmeyer and Mind Clash, Mind Cl because we did get Mind Clash's permission to publish this realm in particular. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote you, Jonathan, because I, I like the way you said that. Phil says, I think abstract is when the game is not related to the theme in any way that the theme can, and that any theme could work, any theme could be applied to it. I'll write that down, any theme could be applied. However, I will say, Phil, and I agree with you, Phil, but I do think sometimes people and reviewers use that label pretty haphazardly. They're saying like, oh, any, any theme could have been slapped on this. Um, even on games where it's pretty clear that like there, there are definite things in the design where uh, the theme has inspired mechanisms. So I think it's a great metric. I think maybe it is used fairly, uh, too loosely at times. Ray mentioned Sagrada, uh, and that's another tough one. Sagrada, to me, is an abstract game, but it definitely feels like I'm building a stained glass window. I, like, I don't feel like that could just be any game. Um, that they, they've done a, a really good job with applying a theme to Sagrada. Yeah, I'm going to mention that one. There's one other one that was mentioned that I need to find on my shelf because... Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not going to give anything away here, but I'm, I'm taking some notes on, on abstract games. Naziz says, a game stops being abstract when you have a story to tell after the game. I agree with you mostly, Naziz. So he mentioned Tales of Arabian Nights, Nemesis Camp Grizzly. I agree with you mostly. 
But I think a lot of games can tell stories in different ways. And even an abstract, like I'll say Blockus again, Blockus clearly an abstract game, but even a game like Blockus, you have a story to tell it, sometimes, sometimes about how someone got blocked off or how someone made some interesting choices that resulted in them being spread around the board. And I, did, I guess I'm talking about the, these things in a non-thematic way, but I think even abstract games can have a story with them. Um, it just isn't a story you can tell using non-abstract terms. Miles says Red Rising was kind of resurrected. That's true. Someone asked about games that I've resurrected, and Red Rising was one of those. Good point, Miles. Where I designed it a few times, it really wasn't working. Took a break from it and came back and was like, oh, this thing works really well. This, this Fantasy Realms um, style uh, mechanism of, of handcrafting. Rocky says, I really love Project L, which is definitely abstract in presentation, but is definitely a strong engine building game as well. Yeah, I really do like the engine building in Project L. Carol says, my understanding for abstracts is that everyone has the same information and the same decisions. This is why I'm not sure with Calico and Cartographers. You're using abstract pieces and everyone is scored in the same way. Calico, you might get different pieces. Cartographers, everyone gets the option. Interesting. Everyone has the same information and same decisions. Same info and decisions. I can see that. Phil says, how do I sign up to be a playtester? That's a good question. That will definitely come up in the blog post. I'm glad you asked here, Phil. So the first step is to sign up as a Stonemaier Games ambassador. And then every couple of years, I go to that ambassador list and I send them a test for people who want to be playtesters. I send them a test to see if they are um, equipped with some core skills to be a great playtester. Um, so that is, that, is, that is how we do it. I will say that... My current playtester list, like trusted playtester list and trusted and tested playtester list is so long right now that I don't really need new playtesters, but I also know that there are probably some great playtesters play testers that we haven't discovered yet. And so I need to, I, I will probably soon send out that, uh, that test to, um, to Stillmare Ambassadors. Ray says, sorry, this is on a very different topic, but I figured you'd be interested because of your enjoyment of movies and such. Have you considered, have you used the streaming service Canopy? I have not. He says, it's a free service provided by participating libraries across the country. It has a lot of films that aren't necessarily easy to find elsewhere, such as Christopher Nolan's very first film, Following. You get five free movies to watch per month. That's all. Hope I thought I would help fellow movie buffs get access to more films. That's great to know, um, Ray, about, about uh, Canopy. That's Canopy with a K, a library-driven service about movies that are a little bit hard to get access to. That's great to know. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, Ray, and I appreciate you recommending it. Let me see if there's, I know I've mostly spent time on you all today, which I love. Let me see if there's any other topics that I wanted to share. This past weekend, I went to, a, so I did some, I had a fun weekend. Uh, we went to a bird sanctuary here in St. Louis where a friend of ours is the lead vet, veterinarian at this nonprofit bird sanctuary. And it was just incredible to see the care and attention that the people at this bird sanctuary. It's called the World Bird Sanctuary in St. Louis. The care and attention they gave to these birds. Um, we got up close and personal with some uh, with an owl and a rare bearded vulture named Sophia, who is struggling a little bit. I hope she's okay. We need to check with our friend to see if Sophia is going to be okay. And we were also like five feet away from two bald eagles. I've never been that close to a bald eagle before. This is a place where they rehabilitate birds. Um, and sometimes they're breeding birds too, some, some endangered species. But it was incredible. I, I highly recommend it, especially if you're a Wingspan fan, if you're a bird fan. Check out the Bur World Bird Sanctuary in St. Louis. We also did our cookbook club this past weekend where we take one cookbook and we each cook a recipe from that cookbook and we talk about how it went. And this weekend, mine was interesting. It was a, it was a pear. It was called the patina of pear. 
and it was essentially blended pear, blended with eggs, and then baked into a souffle type dish. Very mushy texture. The flavor was fine, except for maybe the cumin. I don't know if I'd put cumin in it again, but uh, very mushy texture. I ended up modifying it after the fact, after we ate it and we're like, okay, that's fine. I've modified it after the fact to add a crumble to it, add, a, uh, add some texture to it, and that has really helped the dish, has elevated the dish, I think, in my opinion. Um, we played disc golf, we did yoga, just a very busy weekend. Um, also I was on this, oh, this is fun. I was on the speaking llama podcast. So if you are one of the few people who listen to this, who are also survivor fans, shows fans of the show survivor as I am, then I highly recommend checking out the speaking llama podcast. It's a podcast about survivor and they, the two people who run the show are fans of games as well. And so we talked about games. We talked about survivor. It was like a 20 minute chat. Uh, on the Speaking Llama podcast. I believe that episode is already live. And also did a podcast recently. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. I'll end with uh, with your comments and your, your questions here. Um, let's see. Mark mentioned Sagrada Artisans as another abstract game that does try to add story to it, but it still... You know, the story isn't memorable in Sagrada Artisans, at least in my opinion, but the coloring book, we love playing through the, the 10 or 11 episodes of that game. Gordon mentioned that he really loves Sagrada as well. Garrett says, The Time You Killed Me is a narrative-driven abstract, and he really enjoyed the experience. And Hilda says, uh, The Forest Feast books are her current favorites. Forest Feast, we'll have to check those out. Um, I can't remember the name of the cookbook that we used this time. What was the name of that cookbook? It was like a, a cookbook where someone was making, actually I might be able to look it up because I had to YouTube part of the recipe to, to get a good understanding of it. Patina of Pears. Okay, here we go. Patina of Pears. The cookbook is called The World That Was. The World That Was is the cookbook for this one. Very interesting recipe to make. The world that was. So they're taking like old, ancient recipes and trying to make them today. Corey says, pears have a lot of water. water. Yeah, they do have a lot of water. I saw all that water come out of the souffle. Uh, Nazi says, let's say you received a prototype. The game has great mechanisms and plays almost flawlessly, but you think the theme of the game is not marketable. Would you retheme the game yourself or ask the designer to retheme, then resubmit the design again? Yeah, I would just talk to the designer about it. Uh, because if I mention a different theme to a designer and they're like, no, this is the theme. I really need this to be the theme and I don't believe it's marketable, then we won't publish the game, but we're respecting the designer in that way. And we had that conversation, we had that communication. Um, there have been two games that we've rethemed and we've worked with the designer for those rethemes. One was Pendulum. Pendulum was based on ancient Rome and we rethemed it. It was a very light retheme, but we gave it a fantasy retheme. We worked with the designer for that. And then with Apiary, Apiary was a real life B themed game. And I asked Connie if she would be open to adding a speculative sci-fi twist to it and Connie, Love the idea. Connie could have said, I don't love that idea. And maybe would have, we would have still published it. We would have seen if we could have done something to really differentiate it from, from Honey Buzz. But, um, but that, was, uh, that, was a big, that was a big question for me early on. And I, I just asked Connie about it to see if she would be open to that. And she was. In fact, it ended up solving some design problems with her because she, after being freed from the real world limitations, she was able to add some other resources and things that made more sense for for the game or made the game better at least yeah great question 
Thank you all for your questions today. I, I, as always, I love this conversation. I love hearing your thoughts. Thank you for the time that you spent with me. I'm going to go ahead and post this on YouTube if you have any follow-up thoughts. And I will be back next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is newsletter day. So next Wednesday is when we will be announcing our uh, our annual charity. And this year, for the first time ever, we're doing something that anyone... Well, in the past, we've done something where everyone can like, can like the different uh, content creators that we feature on our annual charity auction. This year, in addition to that, we are going to have a product on our web store related to the charity auction that anyone can buy, uh, as long as we still have quantities of it. And for every copy of this product that you buy, we're going to donate $1 to each of the 10 charities that are part of this year's charity auction. So uh, you can indirectly participate. You can buy this product knowing that we are going to donate something as a result of you purchasing this product. Um, yeah, so stay tuned next week for news about, and for really not just news, but the launch of our annual charity auction. It only lasts two days, and the charity auction gets really, I'm mentioning this because the charity auction gets really expensive. Um, I really appreciate the people who end up winning the, um, the, the, the things that we put up for the auction, but most people can't end up spending $1,000 on a few different items. But a lot of people can get this product that, that we're going to sell on our web store and use to support the 10 charities. So I'll see you next Wednesday for that. I'm really excited about it. I'll see you then. Have a great week. Have fun with your shelf of opportunity. And I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye.